0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. This morning, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, there we go, good. Even if you're not doing pretty woo this morning, you know, just something about, you know, kind of stirring it up in your heart. It gets you in the right mindset. Uh, I'm excited that you're here this morning if I haven't met you. Uh, My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Banner Church, and excited that you're here this morning. Um, Had a uh, great week as a church. You know, we were talking this morning. It feels good, you know, in our... We do a a pre-service huddle together with our team and all the team members from first service. And I was like, man, it just feels good. It feels like the church is moving. Like, I don't know. Everyone keeps talking about new normal or new. It's like, I don't know what that means, but I just, it feels good to be moving as a church and to, uh, be just uh, meeting together and being online and being in person, man. It's just such a blessing. So this week we got to uh, go out. Uh, my wife and I, our small group is called Love the Block, and it's part of a campaign that uh, we've been wanting to start. and We just decided, hey, let's just let's do it. And uh, basically, we just go out to a block, a neighborhood, and we just love that block consistently for 12 weeks. And our, our hope is that out of that will come loving other blocks and more blocks and that uh, it's not a sense of being better than any block or um, anything like that, but it's a sense of like every person in the city is infinitely valuable. And so every block has different needs and we just want to meet those needs and encourage people in those needs and find an awesome opportunity to share the love of Jesus. So this week we gave away 30 bags of school supplies and they went like that. It was so fast and I was like, we need about 200 of these bags. Um, but it was great, you know, to introduce ourselves into a new block, a new neighborhood. Uh, it's a block that we have given away toys to uh, for our Christmas outreach and different kind of things, but uh, we're just excited to love on this part of our city and to continue to do that. I want to encourage you, if you, I know not everybody can, can come on a Thursday, or you're in your own small group, all cool things, but if you'd like to be a part of that in a small way, I can give you a couple wins here. One is on Sundays, we're gonna have a table in the lobby for basic home needs. A lot of what we're giving out is really kind of basic stuff every family needs. If you have kids, you know how quick you go through things like toilet paper, t- toilet paper detergent, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, paper towels, I mean, everything you can imagine. Um, so a lot of the families, we want to bless with that just to show that we love and we care. The other way is if you are either in person or online joining us, our online campus, if you go, go like Chandler said, to church slash give, we have a care fund, and people have just been faithfully giving to that care fund. So We have uh, kept people's lights on, uh, kept cars and car insurance and home bills and kept people in their houses and, and given, uh, supplies and all kinds of stuff, groceries because of that care fund and, uh. I would really love for that to continue. So I encourage you, if you, you're like, man, I, I can't come on a Thursday and I, I can't maybe go to the store and come into the building and, and give groceries or something, no worries. If you still want to be a part of that, you can just go online. It's the power of the internet. We have an awesome team of people uh, who go out on Thursday to love on the community. I, I love uh, my Thursday night small group. And if you're like, man, I don't have a Thursday night small group, perfect. Come with us on Thursday nights. And it's amazing. It Wasn't awesome? Who was who's in my group here? It was awesome, right? Yeah, Bijan, the man himself. Bijan's like gonna lead everybody to the Lord. He's just he's just like the friendliest person I know. Uh, and he's practicing Spanish. is wild. So it was great. Uh, I, my kids were there. My kids are like I had to have like the talk with my kids about hey, you can't just. I know they're very friendly. And uh, I'm sure everybody in this neighborhood's great, but you can't just go into a stranger's home I don't have the kids who are afraid. I have the kids who I'm like, turn around, I'm like, where's Where are my kids? Where, where's my kid? And my son's like in there And everybody's speaking Spanish to him, but he doesn't have any idea what they're saying Because he lives with us. And, and he's just like in someone's house eating food I'm like, no, oh, buddy, you? Like, you can't just, I man, you can go in, but you gotta invite me if there's food <laughs> Like, Don't leave me out here in the cold or the heat, that's what I mean uh, but it was great. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited for this new uh, new series. We're in. We're in a series called Fearless. Uh, Because I really believe we're in a season of being released from the fears. And we're not talking about uh, bats or spiders or bat soup or whatever. We're talking about uh, the the fears that we face in our life and our identity and some common ones. So today I want to read you the scripture that's kind of going to be the uh, foundation for our series. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to read it together. Can we do that? Can we read it together? All right, here, let's do this. Let's stand together. We're going to read scripture. It's gonna be on the screen. First Timothy one seven. Thank you so much, Sydney. You are a boss. Sydney has troubleshooted like twenty thousand things today, so crushing it. But let's read it together. We we'll read it twice. First time we're gonna get our our pentameter, our flow. And here's what I have to say. I have to say this. We have to read it with like a little bit of like a little zest, because people are listening online, but they can't see all you. And so if it's just like this drone tone, it's gonna feel a little culty. So you gotta, I mean, it's the word of God, right? It's got some heat to it. Like, you know, put a little put a little spice on it. All right, good. Ortiz, if you start doing it in Spanish, I'm gonna be really impressed. <laughs> okay, here we go. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Ooh, good. That felt good. You guys have crushed first service already. Same church, same body, but it's all right. Uh, Let's do it one more time. Ready? Now you feel it. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Give yourself a round of applause as you find your seat. Good job, good job, awesome. You guys crushed it. That's our verse. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God did not give us a spirit of fear. I love that. I want to talk about fears today. The fear that I want to talk about today is the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. I want to encourage you today. uh, Maybe take some notes. Take some notes on your phone or on paper or something. Write down a couple of these things as we go through. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the fear of rejection. I, uh, in my whole life, I really prided myself on hard work, being a hard worker. In fact, uh, especially when I started ministry, I kind of made it my goal to work harder than anybody else. That was like my goal, to do better than anybody else, to work harder. If you were going home, I was staying after you. If you were going here, I was going an extra mile. Like, that was just my goal. And you're like, wow, that sounds really admirable. It does on the surface. Underneath the surface was a deep, deep desire to please people and to get my approval from others. Right? It's like I got my value from people being like, wow, you work hard. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Thank <laughs> like, Right? I got my value uh, for working hard for others, and so I would do things and, and help people, and that's just who I am, but but underneath, I was always thinking like, man, I hope they like this. I hope they like me. I hope, you know, this is good enough. Did I do enough? Are people going to think that this is enough? And so there was a little bit of this like approval addiction in my life, but if you would ask me like, hey, do you fear rejection? I'd be like, no, I don't care what people think about me. Uh, turns out that wasn't true, <laughs> And I learned that that wasn't true, most distinctively, when I became a lead pastor. Uh, (laughs) When I became a lead pastor, and kind of in our our journey, I realized that I had, in some ways, some small ways, a fear of rejection. You know, right before I became a lead pastor, before we made that transition, we had a member in our church, and his father uh, was terminally ill. So his father was at a hospital right here, and I'd found out about it. And they couldn't travel home, so they had nobody really around. I'm like, well, they can't just sit in the hospital alone. we got to go visit them. So A, that's what you do as a pastor and as a Christian. And so I was like, let's just go. This is back when you could go to hospitals for, you know, to visit. And so I went, I sat with him in his room and just, you know, listened and encouraged him. And, uh, you know, some of you, that, that, that's been our journey together. And, and I just, you know, waited on him and, and listened to his words and encouragement. And, and we didn't really know each other very well. I'd met him twice, and it's not like we had deeply discussed anything, but he did know the Lord and deeply loved the Lord. And so what that means is that we share the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so he spoke something to me when I was visiting him in the hospital, and he just goes, don't take it personally. And I kind of thought, oh, man, what's he going to tell me? Because that's how you're about to tell somebody something really mean. Like, don't take this personally, but, like, your hair is stupid. (laughs) Like, how am I not supposed to take that personally? (laughs) He said, don't take it personally. I was like, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally when people don't like you. Don't take it personally when people leave. Don't take it personally when people leave. It was interesting. I didn't share this in first service, but he shared with me, he kind of prophesied over our church. He said, for every person that leaves in this season, God will bring two more people. And I was like, okay. But he said, don't take it personally. And I thought, I don't, I don't take it personally. I don't work for the approval of others. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm just doing do my thing. But as I really evaluated it, I did really care about the approval of others. Mostly because in the season that I was in, I got very little approval from others. And so everything was kind of motivated by the sense of like, I lived in this space of, man, I hope I'm working hard enough. I hope I'm doing enough. I hope I am enough. But then it's like, I wasn't getting any response. And you know, when you don't get the response, you're looking for like makes you hungrier. It's like people don't think you're doing a good job and you desperately want them to think you're doing a good job. So it's like, well, I'm just going to work more. It's like, you know what? My wife can raise our children. I'll just keep working until everybody thinks I'm doing a good job. And you live in this space. I I mean, I I didn't think that I was really that addicted to approval and that that fearful of rejection until I became a lead pastor. And people come up to me and tell me things like, well, you're just in it for the money. It's like, well, you have no idea how much money I make then. You're just here because you're trying to do this and do this and you want us to do this and you're this, you know, you're not this enough, you're not enough of this, you're not enough of this kind of person, you're not like this and you're not like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm taking it so personally, right? Have you ever had somebody tell you you're not enough for them? Like, how do you not take that personally? You as a person are not enough for me. It's like someone come and tell me, yeah, I, I just don't have any friends here. But like, I thought we were friends. I know, but like, you're not enough for me, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Don't take it personally. Like, I mean, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take that personally. If you say I don't have any friends, and I thought we were friends, that might affect our friendship. I, and I started to take things personally, and then I began to feel like, was I good enough? Could, could I cast vision? I'm like looking down the street. I mean, Arizona is full of churches where I come from. There's like four, and they're all like celebrity pastors, but. Where here, there's like a million churches, and I can drive down and be like, man, look at this church. It's got like a bouncy house, in a bouncy house, in the worship center. And there's like a thousand people. They have an internship and a school of ministry. I'm like, this is crazy. And those are things like I don't even want. I don't, I'm don't. i a little big for bouncy houses, so you know, it's not my thing. But somehow you want things because you're comparing things, things you didn't even want. Now you romanticize things that you were miserable at. Now you love because you're just in this state of like just feeling like you're not enough. You're like hungry. You want to know. You're worried about what others think. And I was just worried about what people thought. Am I going to be a good enough leader? Am I going to be a good enough pastor? Am I going to be good enough for somebody? Especially hard when people keep telling you that you're not. And I realized I had a fear of rejection, and I would began to be addicted to the approval of others. And I think many of us are living in that space today. Addicted to the approval of others. Not you, but maybe you know somebody, you know, who's addicted to the approval of others. Like in school, when you got a good grade, that didn't excite you. What excited you is who was going to be happy for that good grade. Right? That's like what made, you know, when when you get like a new item of clothing, you're not like, oh, this is sick. You're like, gosh, I hope people think this is cool. We're addicted to the approval of others in bigger ways than that. Choices we make for our family and our future and our faith. Addicted to the approval. But can I tell you, there's a, there's a danger in living addicted to the approval of others. I want to read to you so- Proverbs 29, 25. It says this. The fear of man lays a snare. Somebody say snare. Snare, that's a cool word. Lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Look at that. The fear of man, the fear of rejection, the, the addiction to approval, the fear of man is a snare. It is a trap. But those who trust in God are kept, what does it say, safe. There is a snare or a trap when we live with a fear of rejection. So I want to tackle kind of the two uh, traps of a fear of rejection today. Can we do that together? Okay, let's talk about them. Then we'll talk about how to overcome them. So roll with me here. But let's look at the two rejection traps. The very first one is when we fear rejection, we can become overly starved. Overly starved. When we fear rejection, we can become overly starved. The crazy thing about overly starved is what we desire most is what we lose first. Here's what I mean. When I long for the approval of others, I'm never satisfied with the approval that I get. And so the more I long for it, the less is enough. I'm like an addict. It's like you get that first hit of approval, and you're like, oh, I want more of that, but it's never enough. Overly starved. It's interesting, if you go to the Old Testament, uh, you know, first half of the Bible there, the Old Testament uh, is full of great examples of this, but I think the best example of this is King Saul. Now, King Saul, uh, if you don't know, he was the first king of Israel. They're like, God's like, I'm your leader. And they're like, yeah, we really want a king. And he's like, that's going to go bad for you. And they're like, we don't care. We want a king. And then God was right. Uh, but, you know, so King Saul, uh, he was a head taller than any other person. So he's really tall. He was good looking. He was strong. He was a good worshiper. Um he, he was spiritually strong. He was actually kind of wealthy. I mean, he's a lot of things, ladies. Saw so he was he was top-tier choices. So if you were, uh, oh, he could also dance. I don't know if that's a big one. But if you were at like a wedding, I know sometimes you go on the prowl at the wedding, ladies. I've seen it. I've done enough weddings to know. They all stand there and they look like, okay, who's up? Okay. No, nah, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. I'm going home. Tell her I love her, but I'm out. I'm taking my gift back. <laughs> But he was like, he could dance. He danced in the spirit. Saul, you know, he's, he's a cool guy. But his life is like an arc of kind of humility to pride. But what's interesting in that arc is that he was never really humble, but he was definitely prideful. But what he did on that whole arc of his life, it ends tragically. What he lived with, his big issue, was that he had a fear of rejection. His story as we see Saul starts with him hiding behind baggage because he's afraid. But they see him because he's, like, mad tall. They're like, the Lord's like, he's over there in the baggage. Some of you are hiding in your baggage. That's totally unrelated. But he had a fear of rejection. In fact, he actually rejects God's command when they go into battle because, because he's afraid of what the people will think. Check us out. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty four. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Hear that line. Because I feared people and I obeyed their voice. How often are we so afraid of what people think we're so afraid of what people will think that we do what we are afraid of, right? We, we do what they think. We do what they say. We follow what they say rather than doing what's right. Like Saul, we would say, because I feared the people, I obeyed their voice. You know, I think uh, one of the first times I, I gave into that, I remember I was young and I was at a sleepover. And uh, even when you're dudes, you still call them sleepovers. I know all-nighters, that's what they really were. And uh, we're hanging out, and we're going to watch a movie. And my buddy's like, hey, let's watch the movie The Matrix. You guys remember The Matrix, the one where he falls backwards? He doesn't stand back up. He just falls onto the ground. I always said he stood back up. He falls straight down onto the ground. So not as cool. But... But The Matrix, and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to watch The Matrix. I think I was like 11 or 12 at the time. And it had just come out on a DVD, which is a big deal. So it's about to be high quality, uh, The Matrix. And they're like, hey, can you can you watch The Matrix? You good with that? I think my friend's mom was there. And let me tell you, uh, parents, if you never experienced this as a young child, I know for myself, and so I, I think about this as my kid, when you're the only one at the sleepover who doesn't want to do anything, you're in a tough spot. Because if I'm the only dude who's like, nah, I can't watch The Matrix. I'm going to go up, hang out with your mom upstairs. I think she has cereal. I'm never coming to another one of these sleepovers again. And I probably got the nickname Cereal Boy or something. <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, totally. My parents are they are cool with this. And we watched it. And uh, I was very, I don't know, I was like 11. I was terrified and confused and still am kind of honestly with The Matrix, if we're being honest. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh <laughs> But I remember going home and, you know, telling my parents because I was so sad the next day. And I was like, I just had this moment as a young kid being like, why? Why? Like, I'm a tough person. Like, why did I care what they thought and therefore choose to do something I knew I wasn't allowed to do? That's like the story of my youth. Why? Why? Right? Because I was afraid. I was afraid of them. I wanted the approval. I was in this circle, and everyone was going. And isn't it crazy how much farther a circle of people can carry your character than you're willing to let it go? It's like they just, like, pick it up and just take it. And then you're like, oh, no, I don't think I want to be over. I don't, I'm not sure. And then you're just way over here. Do you know what I'm talking about? Thank you, Katie. I, I, was, a, I was a soccer supporter are like, what is that? I'm from the South. That's where like a bunch of people get together and like yell the same songs at a soccer field. It's about as cool as it sounds. Um, <laughs> but a uh, soccer supporter, and in Seattle, it's a big deal. I don't know about, you know, Phoenix, but Seattle is a big deal. We love our sports. Uh, Our sports teams have not been historically good uh, most of my younger life, except for a few off and on years, and then very recently, Uh, except for our soccer team, that even though it was not popular or famous in minor leagues, was very good, and the people that were into it were very into it. I mean, like, very into it. So let me give you kind of just a snapshot, is that what we would do is all the supporters in this supporters group, you you were in groups, you had like Scarves. I know this doesn't sound as cool as I'm making it sound, guys. You would sing songs and you had the same scarf. It's really tough, I promise. Uh, <laughs> you would have your scarf and you would hang out with the other people and their scarves in the same colors and you would sing songs together. <laughs> this is why I watch hockey now. <laughs> you would sing together <laughs> the same songs uh, and you'd go to the bar and you'd get there at like 9 a.m., and you drink till like seven p.m., and then in the state that you're in, you would go out onto the street and do a march. Now, inevitably, in this march, you would say things, uh, chant things, yell things, and encounter fans of the other team. Um, and in Seattle, I know maybe if you're not from Seattle. You're like, oh, all the cities are they're the same. They're all kind of like on fire and super liberal. Um, but Seattle and Portland, like, we do not get along. We're not friends. Like, people from the Midwest, they think that it's not true. Like, Seattle, there's there's a rivalry in, like, everything. And so when we would play the Portland team, my friends and I, when we were very young. Uh, we would get into argument. That's a good word for it. Altercations. Um, <laughs> with people from the other team. Now, fundamentally, if you looked at America, you would go like, there is nothing different from an 18-year-old musician from Portland and an 18-year-old musician from Seattle, except one has more money and is probably showered. Like, fundamentally, they're very close-looking people. Uh, Very similar. But to us, there was a a strong difference, and so we would chant things and yell things, and we would get in, you know, be physical, and altercations, and all kinds of things, and what's interesting is what started, everybody's, you know, drunk, and all these things, and I remember kind of stepping back from this experience uh, as a young man of God who was trying to transition into ministry, and who wanted to give his life to the Lord, and I stood back, and I was like, man, how far, after one of these days, how far have we come, How far have I allowed the opinions of others to carry me? Because I'm not going into this experience wanting to say these kinds of things to people. Who cares what soccer team, who cares what, if you're arguing about what scarf you're wearing, you're on the wrong side of history here, right? Like, yeah, he had a different scarf, so, right? That sounds super cool. So I was like, how far have we come that now I'm yelling things I would never yell, saying things, getting into altercation, being physical, fighting with people, like, come on, about soccer? Like, what am I doing? And I stepped back and I thought, man, it's so crazy because I was, I was in this crew. We were all saying this, and it's like if I'm in this group and I don't laugh at the joke or I don't say the things or I'm not part of the chant, they're going to kick me out. So I have to do it or else I'm going to get kicked out. What a stupid thing to let your witness die on the altar of is the opinions of some soccer hooligans. And yet I did. And I remember stepping back, and I told my wife, I said, I can't, this was the most important game in my sporting life. And I said, I can't go anymore to these. I can't go. I can't even be there. I can't even be in the city. I can't go. I can't be a part of it. I can't be near it, yes. I can't be around it because I need to break loose from where the crowd has carried my character because I have been not willing To break free, because why? Because I feared rejection. I feared rejection. I was afraid. I think so many of us are in this trap, whether you are in a big crowd of people or one on one, that we 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 want to please God. We want to pursue God. We want righteousness for our life but we just get so caught in the snare and the trap of rejection that we're not willing to stand up for what we know is right because we're afraid of being rejected. I know some amazing young men and women of God who are like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for purity in my marriage. I'm going to stay pure in my marriage. But they get in a relationship and they begin to make decisions that compromise their purity. And they're just like, yeah, but I don't want to lose them. I don't want them to reject me. I don't want them, you know, to, to push me aside. I love them. I don't want them to reject me. So I'm going to compromise my character. And I'm like, listen, if they loved you, they wouldn't ask you to compromise your integrity. Like, yeah, but I don't want them to reject me. I don't want them to leave me. I need the approval. I need someone to validate me. I know some powerful, powerful men and women of God God who have just given everything over for absolutely nothing because they're afraid of approval. Because my parents did not tell me that I was precious, that I don't believe that I'm precious in God's sight. I will give everything away to the first guy that comes along and tells me I'm special. I will give everything to the first woman that comes along and makes me feel like a man. Why? Because we're afraid of rejection. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Because we are afraid. We spend hours on social media, on our image, on our brand, on our look, on our vibe. like oh, I hope people like me. I know people that literally freak out that their life will not line up with a certain color palette and filter palette, and so they're afraid of missing major milestones in their life because it doesn't have the right vibe. What? I hope that my wedding pics get enough likes. I hope people like me or else I'm not going to be satisfied. I hope that people love this enough in my, in my life, in my future, in my look, in my vibe. I'm so afraid of rejection that I'll literally run myself into debt buying new clothes just so people will like me. I'm like, why? Because I'm, I'm addicted to approval. That's what people say. I noticed that in culture. Isn't it wild that cancel culture has been like the new norm? It's like, hey, if you don't post this box, if you don't share this thing, if you don't share my idea, if you don't reflect this, if you don't do this, then you know what's going to happen? You're canceled. You're done. It's like, whoa. I, well, hey, I don't think you have the power to do that. And like, oh, no, surprise, we do. <laughs> and we live in fear. Can I tell you when, as a church, when we started, you know, just speaking and, and praying and, and interceding for justice for our nation, like, I, can I tell you, I was ter- I was terrified. Can I tell you, leading in COVID has been the most emotionally exhausting thing I've ever done in my entire life. Like, I've lost, I've broken ribs, lost loved ones. I've, like, you know, had all kinds of tragedy happen in my life, but there is nothing. I've lost children. There has nothing been more emotionally exhausting than leading in COVID. Because my whole life is a tipping point between pissing one of you off. (laughs) Like, oh, are they going to leave? If I stand up for, uh, for, for this black person who was killed, am I going to get 30 inboxes about police? If I pray for police, am I going to get, my, you know, 40 bricks through the window about caring for black people? What am I going to get? If I come back to church, am I an idiot? If I stay out of church, am I a heretic? What am I? I guess I'll just wait till everyone tells me. What a terrifying place to live, if I can just be honest thankfully, we're in a very blessed church. And can I just say, I love you guys, and I appreciate you guys. Because as a church, and I follow lots of churches, and I have lots of friends who are pastors, who are like, I'm getting ripped apart, man. I'm like, actually, things have been pretty good for us here. <laughs> like, Everyone's been pretty cool about it. <laughs> and yet, I'm still emotionally exhausted. So my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to them. But I've lived with that. And I said, you know what? No, I got to come back to that. If I'm addicted to the approval of others, I'm going to get caught in the trap of rejection. Then I'm going to be kind of become like, like an like a approval vacuum. I'm just going to go to whatever person tells me that, that I'm doing right and just kind of like suck them of their life force. Like, thank you, please tell me that I'm doing a good job. Like, you know, you know these people? Like, anybody who tells them anything positive, they're like, yep, all of your energy is mine now. And I get into that trap. Get into that trap. Fear of man is a snare. And so we become overly starved. It creates a problem in our life. We become approval addicts approval addicts. Let me give you two things about approval addicts. First thing, approval addicts have an inability to confront. Because approval addicts are afraid of people not, you're afraid of someone not liking you, you'll never really confront. I don't mean like yell at somebody on Facebook, call them a snowflake or something. That's not it. Surprise. I'm saying That to confront biblically, to stand up for truth and integrity in the forum that is an appropriate forum for the sake of their spiritual development. Can I tell you just real quick? This is not in my notes. I know I'm off. I'm sorry. Uh, Can I tell you that Facebook is not a forum? It's not a forum for graceful guidance to the Holy Spirit. It's like for posting pictures of your kids. I, ha- I have yet to see, and you can prove me wrong, and I-, I will take calls on this, that's fine. I have yet to see someone guided to truth on Facebook because of a rant or a meme on either side. I've yet to see. You can prove me wrong. I, I would love that. That would bless me. But we have an inability to confront correctly. Let me tell you this. Until we have biblical confrontation with biblical integrity, we can never have the intimacy and relationship that God wants. God wants us to have intimate relationships together as a church. But there has to be confrontation there. Hey, this is not the integrity of Jesus Christ. I want I, I need to tell you. But if you're so afraid of making someone angry, you're never going to tell them the truth. Second thing is approval addicts give in, but are inwardly angry and resentful. You're like, I'll, "I'll do what you want, but I'm sick of it." I've seen so many marriages fall this way, really well-meaning people. But because they're so addicted to the approval of others, they say, "Hey, yeah, yeah, totally. I'll, I'll do what you say, I'll go with what you want, but inside it's just eating away, eating away. Because the fear, man, it's a snare. It's a snare. It's a trap. So when we fear rejection, we become overly starved. The second thing this morning, if you're taking notes, you can write down. When we fear rejection, we can become overly cautious. Kind of the other side. When we fear rejection, we can become overly cautious. It's kind of like this. I have been hurt by others, so I'm just not going to trust again. I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length. I'm going to keep everybody separated from me. You know anybody like this? Like, you know what? I've been hurt, so you know, you're never really going to see the real me. i got my armor on. We could meet. We could talk. But you're never going to see the real me. We're, I, I'm just not going to connect with people because I don't want to get hurt again. We can become overly cautious. Proverbs 28:14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. You know anybody like this? I mean, not you, but like a friend with a hard heart. You ever met anybody that's like, man, I'm just going to keep everybody away from me. I'm going to keep everybody away from me. I won't let anybody get close to me. Right? You, you meet a, a woman who says, man, you know what? I've been hurt by too many men. Men are just evil. The whole lot of them are no good. They stink. They're stinky. I don't want them around. I'm done with them. Right? Meet those guys that are like, man, women are just a brood of vipers. They'll come on and just get you when you're not looking. I'm done. It's it. You'd be shocked how many conversations like, you know what, people in this city, they're just like this, and that's the reason. People in this town, they're just like this. People in this church are just like this. Men are just like this. Women are just like this. Millennials are just like this. Boomers are just like this. Democrats are just like this. Republicans are just like this. It's like, man, you're just boxing everybody up so you can have an excuse to be overly cautious because you're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid. We're afraid of being vulnerable. I'm just not going to commit to a relationship. You know, I tried. You know, Pastor, I tried to connect with men in the church, but it's just too hard. So I'm, just, I'm done. I'm going to keep it. Man, you know, someone hurt me. You know, my whole life has just been a life of hurt and pain. So everyone was keeping them at arm's reach because if I keep people at arm's reach, I'll never be hurt again. Can I tell you, that doesn't work. You're just going to be hurt alone because there is hurt and pain in life. And if you keep everybody away. You're just going to go through it alone. It's, It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to be alone. Some of you. I think maybe it started at a young age. If, if you're kind of thinking about it in this moment, you're allowing your heart to be reflective. As much as we're talking about rejection, and that can be hard, you're allowing your heart to be reflective. And as you do, you're going, man, that started at a young age. Maybe in your family with your siblings, there was a sibling that was an obvious favorite, and then there was you. And so you've never really felt like you have received that kind of recognition. Maybe uh, you had friends in school that took advantage of you or treated you a certain way. And so because of that, you, know, you learn at a very young age, I'm just going to keep people away from me. Maybe you, uh, in your life, you had somebody that was supposed to love you forever, and because they didn't do what they said they would do, and love you, and care for you, and protect you, and keep you safe. It's like, you know what, I'm never going to let somebody get that close again. I'm never going to let intimacy into my life. I don't want to get hurt again. I'm going to be overly cautious. I think it's interesting, some of us, man, we, we live in fear of telling people about Jesus right? It's like, you know, I got my, my friends or my family or my brother, sister, you know, whatever. I, I have, uh, maybe, maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's the friends you grew up with. Maybe it's your spouse. You're like, I am afraid to really tell them about the hope and healing of Jesus Christ because if I do, I'm going to be that weirdo and I'm never getting invited to another thing again, right? Like, we're all hanging out and I tell my friends about Jesus Christ. They're going to be like, cool, man. Go ahead and don't again. Don't do that again. So we're afraid. We are afraid of rejection. Isn't that crazy as Christians? We live in fear of the rejection of man. Like when we talk about evangelism, it's like, hey, don't worry if they don't accept you. It's like, yeah, no joke. But we live in fear. I'm afraid to tell my friends. It's the most important thing in my life. But if I tell my friends about it, and they're actually friends, you're telling me they're going to reject me outright? Yeah, maybe. But we're so afraid of rejection. It's interesting in the New Testament, Scripture tells us there's a group of people who were believers. Uh, they were officials, and so they believed in Christ, but they were afraid to tell anybody. Isn't that crazy? They were in positions of power, afraid to tell anybody. John 12, 42 tells us this. It says, Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, him meaning Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. Man, verse 43. This is gonna drive it home. We should just altar call right at the end of this one for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Hear that. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They were afraid to lose the acceptance of their friends, of officials, of their place, of their cultural position. So what did they do? The God that they say, Lord Jesus, you saved me. You rescued me. You redeemed me. You're the hope and healing of my life. But Lord, don't, don't make me tell anybody about you because I'm afraid of what they'll think. I need their approval, God. And if I don't have their approval, I don't know what I'm going to do. Overly cautious. overly starved. Okay, let's talk then. If those are the two traps, I'm overly starved or I'm overly cautious, how do we overcome the trap? You guys want to talk about that? How do we overcome today? Okay. Good, because it's happening. Number one, how do we overcome the fear of rejection? The very first thing is to say yes to God. In the Old Testament, there was a, a king named Jehoshaphat. I like that name. That'd be a good rap name. Maybe a name for your child. Anybody looking for a wacky name? Jehoshaphat. Just call him Jeho or something. I don't know. <laughs> come on. like, Come on. I, I have Instagram. I see what some of y'all name your kids. Like, that's not awful. <laughs> Jehoshaphat. That's a good name. It's got a good flow. It's got a punch at the end. Jehoshaphat king of Judah. He's speaking to the king of Israel. And, they, and the king of Israel goes, hey, see all that land over there? That belongs to us. We should go take that. King Jehoshaphat says, yeah, man, that sounds like a good idea. We should do that. He says, alright, what should we do? Here's what he says. First Kings 22. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Think on that. He says, hey, you got an army. I got an army. We're both powerful. We have all the physical might to go take that. We should do that. Jehoshaphat name of your next child, says, what we need to do is we need to inquire first of the Lord. Not we need to ask our advisors. Not we need to pull the people. Let's pull the people and make sure everyone's cool with that, everyone's down with that. Let me put out a poll. Let me see. Let me test the temperature of the culture and make sure that we're good with that. Uh, let me put out like a little Instagram poll, uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, at Jehoshaphat25, because there's a couple of them, because they're really caught on. Do, should we take back Jabesh Gilead, yes or no? Let's pull the... No, he doesn't say that. And he's not saying don't take advice or advisors. He's saying, listen, who do we seek first? He says, inquire first about the will of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. When you're facing a tough situation, who do you inquire of first? Do you think, what will my friends think? What will my parents think? What will my family think? What will my coworkers think? Or do you think, what does the Lord will? God, what is your... Will for our family. We're trying to make a decision that is a big decision. Do I care what my friends think? Sure. But who do I seek first? The Lord. I seek to please God and to be guided by Him. I say yes to pleasing God. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan was an amazing uh, modern evangelist. I believe he's Presbyterian, uh, This is escaping me. I should have looked it up. But uh, in 1888, he was getting commissioned to be a preacher. And uh, to get commissioned to be a preacher, back in the day, you would have to preach in front of a council, and they would seek the Lord in some denominations, and uh, they would basically stand, this was a group of three people, but you would come up, you would preach, they would judge, and then later they would post a list, and basically it was to say, are you accepted to be a preacher and to go out and preach, or are you rejected to go, I don't know, be a shoemaker, or, you know, like something super cool, but not preaching. And so he gets up with these other young men, and they preach in front of the three men who are there. And at the very end, the three men who are the judges, they post a list, two lists, accepted and rejected. So Campbell Morgan starts on the accepted list. Isn't that interesting? We don't start over here. We always start like, please, 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 please. Ah. So he starts on accepted. He starts going through, and he realizes that his name is not on the accepted list. And so, of course, he goes to the next list, rejecting. Rejected. And his name right there, rejected, rejected. Some of you, you, you understand that feeling. Have you ever poured your heart into something or someone, and in the end you're just rejected. Okay, I don't want you. You're not good enough. You didn't do enough. I never wanted you. I don't need you. Go away. Get out of here. You ever been rejected? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It does not take a lot for you to distinctly lock into your life and see how you have been rejected, and to sense that feeling of pouring your heart and soul only to be rejected by man. So he writes a telegram home to his father, He uses one word, one word to write the telegram home, rejected. Rejected. His father sends back a telegram six words this time. It says, rejected by men, accepted by God. He sends him back. I've been rejected. His father sends him back. Rejected by men, but accepted by God. Did you know that? Did you know that you're going to be rejected by men? And by man? That's one of the things that surprises us a lot if you believe in Christ, that the world is going to reject you. But can I tell you, it is going to happen. In fact, you should be concerned if you share the truth of the Lord in a broken world and just everything is just like, oh, that sounds great. Culturally, it's not going to happen, I promise you. But we're so surprised. But can I tell you, you're going to be rejected, but so was Christ. You're in good company. If you've been rejected for the truth of the hope and healing in Jesus Christ, you are in good company. You're in good company, rejected by men. I look, John 15, 18, Jesus tells us, If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen, if Jesus couldn't make everybody happy all the time, why are you trying to? Like, if he couldn't get everybody to approve of him all the time, why are you trying to get everybody to approve of you all the time? Especially, it's like, he is the ultimate, and we're following him, right? And it's like, and if he was the best and perfect, and I'm just, like, here trying to be like him, and even he was rejected by man, then I got to know it's coming. I got to know that the world will reject me. But I'm not worried about that. Because I love the company I keep when I'm rejected by the world, and that's the company of Jesus Christ. Man, they rejected Jesus, but they're not rejecting me because I, like, said something mean at my family reunion. (laughs) They're rejecting me for displaying the love of Jesus Christ. And more and more in culture, we are going to come to that crossroads that, that sometimes the love of Christ displayed. Someone might call you a bigot, and you have a choice. Do I... Fold, or do I say yes to pleasing God? In this world, you will have trouble. My desire is I want to please God in all that I do. I want to say yes to pleasing God. The other thing, how do we overcome the trap of the fear of rejection? Is number two, we say no to pleasing people. Say no to to pleasing people. Now, real quick, this is not an excuse to be mean to people because we know that when we say yes to pleasing God, what pleases God is grace and truth. It's the amazing unity uh, of the Word. It's like this is not an excuse to like go be mean to somebody, right? Like, well, I'm not here to please you. It's like, well, yeah, but what pleases God is to be gracious and kind and caring. We know blessed are the peacemakers. We, we know this. So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we are not subject to the opinions of people. That our goal in life is not to please people, to say that I'm going to say yes to pleasing people. That's my primary. That's my go-to. Is Am I making people happy? No, I'm going to say yes to pleasing God and no to pleasing people. Isaiah 51. I, I love how he puts this. The Lord says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man? And here's what he says about the substance of man. Who dies of the son of man who is made like grass. So who are you that you're afraid of men who are like finite and small and in the scale of eternity our lives are so tiny. Who are you that you are afraid of man and yet have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth? How often do we get so caught up in the approval of others that we forget the Lord? I remember uh, I was in Seattle playing a show, and I played in this band, and uh, we would play kind of all over. And one of the places we would play is in Capitol Hill. Uh, If you're not familiar with Capitol Hill, but you've ever heard of the Chaz or the Chop, where they set that up, it's like right where one of the bars that I used to play at uh, was. And so you can kind of guess the temperature or the overall vibe of the joint. It's not like those people came out of the woodwork. They all lived there and went to those shows before it became the free autonomous zone of Seattle. If you don't know what the Chaz is, I don't know, go Google it or something. Um, And so, very liberal area, um, very hostile to the gospel. um, And so... We're there, and we're in the green room, and, you know, you're just doing what you do in a green room, hanging out, talking, and everybody kind of goes around saying, hey, what do you do for work? Because, obviously, we were musicians, so we didn't do this for work, so we had to do something else. And so we went around, you know, just random things, construction, tech, whatever, and it got to me. And uh, I really wish I could just describe this to the fullness of that feeling of that experience, because when it gets to me as a young person, I was a young minister, and my job was pastor, but I knew if I said pastor, it was going to cost me something. Because, again, if I said pastor, the likelihood I ever got a gig there again was very low, very low. Because if they find, if the other bands especially find out you're a pastor, nobody wants to put a pastor on the bill. All my Seattle people, you know what I'm talking about. Like, If I'm in a bar, I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, cool, man. Right? Yeah, so that sounds great. See ya. So the likelihood I got another gig there, it was very small. You're saying, that's an exaggeration. And I say, trust me, it is not an exaggeration. Let me give you an example. I, before this, a week before this experience, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was in a band called Preacher's Wife. Preacher's Wife. Only two of the six people were Christians. So one of them was a preacher's wife, hence the name. They were told by multiple places that we played shows, you will never get a gig here as long as your name is Preacher's Wife. You'll never play here, ever. You got to change your name. And so he came to me and said, like, hey man, what should I do? I know you're a pastor, what should I do? All my band wants to change the name. I feel kind of weird that we would change it because we're afraid of what it means. Like, and, and I said, that's a good point. You got to ask a question. Who do you belong to? Who do you think is going to bless you more, this club or the Lord? Who do you want to serve, this club or the Lord? Who do you think has a better chance of of really projecting your band in the truth of the Word of God? This club or the Lord? And they they changed their name, unfortunately. And so in this moment in the green room, I just tell everybody, yeah, I'm a a pastor because it's my turn. I got to share. And I don't know if it's because they were like all 20 PBRs deep or something at this point. Uh, but they were like, oh, yeah, cool, man. Like, it was so chill. And I was like, okay, cool, this is nice. But they're like, what does that mean? I was like, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. Here's the door. Um, these are very rare. I Again, if you've never been in this environment where everybody there is about to hate you for what you do for a living, that's a great feeling. Like, what does that mean? Let me tell you. <laughs> And so I said to them very clearly, uh, "Yeah, I'm a pastor. My job is to really show people uh, how deeply they're loved and cared for, how they're created with immense purpose, how they're called out, how they're unique and gifted, and that I believe that there's immense hope for their future." Like, okay, I'm just gonna like kind of kick in that door a little bit here and be like, "And Jesus, like a little grenade." Uh, <laughs> but I had a choice. I never, I never did play there again. Actually, now that I think about that, that that kind of makes sense. Uh, that <laughs> just came to me right now. But I had a choice. You have a choice. Everyone has a choice. The choice is every day, multiple moments a day, who do I serve? Will I cave to the fear of rejection? Will I cave to my addiction for approval? Or will I say, Lord God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you more than I trust this job. I trust you more than I trust this culture. I trust you more than I trust this moment. I trust you, and I serve you. And so I say yes to serving you, to seeking you first. And I say no to pleasing others above pleasing you. God, I live for you and you alone. Ben, you can come up. Galatians 1.10 says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the two masters principle. You can only serve two masters. You can serve God or you can serve man, but you can't serve both. And so the question is in this moment, as much as I want to fall back, I really need to press in and say, God, I serve you. I choose you. I don't get my approval from others. I'm not afraid of rejection. I'm not afraid of what people will say. Let me give you a goal today. You ready? You can write this down. Here's your goal: live for an audience of one. I had to itch my nose. This master drive me crazy. Live for an audience of one. That's your goal. Live for an audience of one that is God. I'm not trying to win the approval of others, I'm trying to gain my value from them, I'm not trying to put on a show so that they'll accept me. I'm living for one, to please the one and only God. I'm here to please the one whose opinion really matters, and that's the Lord. I'm here to please the one who sent his son to die for me, who rescued me from the depths of my sin and my brokenness, who loved me before I even knew, who redeemed me, who reconciled me, even though I was an enemy to him. I'm here for his approval. I'm living for the audience of one. John 5:30 says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I seek to live for an audience of one. Fear of people, fear of rejection, it is a trap, it is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be safe. He who trusts in the Lord will be secure. The best way I've ever heard it explained is it's like a hall pass. How many of you guys have ever, um, have ever had a hall pass when you're in school? you know this moment then, uh, when you, uh, like first grade, second grade, you would have this awesome opportunity to get out of class, but like for a reason. And uh, I hate sitting, probably with all of my being. And so school to me was torture. I'd be like, just give me a book and let me dig a hole outside with it. I'll prefer it. Uh, So whenever there's an opportunity to do an errand, I'd be like, let's go. I'm in. I'm out of here. And so they say, okay, Josh, you can go. Here's your hall pass, and they sign it. You know, be back in 15 minutes. I'd be like, girl's about to be an hour. You're not gonna see me again. (laughs) So you have your hall pass. You know, you take it and you go outside and you like walk by your friends. Like, what up, son? I'm out here. And you like wave it in the window. Your friend's classroom. Like, hall pass. It's just like go. And you're like, you don't get make me have a hall pass. You own the hall with the hall pass. And so you're going through the hall, and inevitably you hit, you run into a bigger kid who's a hall monitor. Their job is to monitor a hall, because for some reason, we trust slightly older children to monitor the ways of slightly younger children. I don't know. I don't understand the education system. Um, But you have your hall monitor. They would say, hey, man, you can't be out here. You can't be out here. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, you're not allowed to be out here. And then you have the most amazing moment when you're a kid hey, man, you can't be out here. Like, oh, really, seventh grader? Because I have a hall pass, right? He's like, you would swing that thing out like it was a freaking sword out of the stone, like, shh, hall pass. You know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The teacher's like, you're running out in the hallway, like, I'm doing my thing. The teacher's like, you can't be out here. And you're like, ha, ha, pass. Right? You can't make me go back. I'm out here. Hall pass. H A double L P S pass. Hall pass. You know what I'm talking about? Gianna knows what I'm talking about. Hall pass. Right? I love the hall pass. You're like, listen. They're like, you you, you can't be out here and you're like, it doesn't matter what you think about me because I'm on assignment. I have been sent on a mission, on assignment by he who gives me authority, which is actually just, you know, Mr. Greg, the fifth grade teacher. But you know what? I'm on assignment. So it doesn't matter what you think, Kyle, from the seventh grade, I'm on assignment. You guys know what I'm talking about. I got a hall pass. <laughs> I'm on assignment. Did you know that you have the hall pass of God in your life? That he's put promises on your life? You got a hall pass on your life. No matter what you think about me, no matter what you say about me, guess what? Surprise, I got a hall pass, son. Oh, you know what? I don't know if you're allowed to. Oh yeah, that's funny you should say that because hall pass. Right? No matter what you think about me, God says I'm acceptable through Christ. Right, no matter what you say about me, God says he loves me as I am. Right, God says that I'm made perfect through Him, that it's because of Him, that I don't gotta come to Him perfect. God says that He accepts me, that I am acceptable to Him, that I am perfect in His sight. Listen, I don't gotta dance for you, I don't gotta put on a show for you, I don't gotta prove anything to you, I don't gotta walk through anything, because I am free, I am liberated, I have the hall pass that is the promises and proof and presence of God in my life. It doesn't matter if you think that I'm good enough, Because God says in my weakness, his love is perfected in my life, that he is made stronger, that his strength is perfected through me. God says about me that I'm blessed when I come in, and God says about me that I'm blessed when I go out. God says that he is working everything for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You say, oh yeah, well I think this about you. Too bad, hall pass. God says I'm more than a conqueror. Oh, well, oh, are you sure of this and this? I got to do this. And, are you sure you're allowed to do Listen, hall pass. God says, I'm accepted. God says, I am anointed. God says, I am prepared. God says, I'm called. God says, I'm commissioned. Listen, it's not that I don't care about you or what you have said about me, but it's just that I'm on assignment. And your opinion is not greater than my assignments. I'm walking with the authority of the God who has assigned me, who has called me, who has anointed me. you know if you have the Holy Spirit today because you're a believer in Jesus Christ that you are anointed, therefore you are an assignment. So when the enemy comes, he tries to speak against you and speak lies in your life. Man, why are you doing this and this and this? Bringing up your past, trying to speak against your identity, trying to say, man, you know, if God really wanted you to to do this in the kingdom, he would have built you different. And you're like, you know what? Listen, God created me in a unique and powerful way to minister the gospel in my life. And I might be quieter or louder. or I might be gifted different. I might be a public speaker. I might be a writer. I might be a quality time. I might be hospital. I might be all kinds of things. But it doesn't matter because I am on assignment. It doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what you say about me. I'm not out here to prove anything to you. I'm not afraid if you reject me. If you reject me, Jesus and I are just going to like high five. Boom. We're on the same page, son. Hall pass. You have an assignment from God. And he has spoken truth over you. You are co-heir with Christ. You are loved and accepted. You are welcomed. You are anointed. The fear of man is a trap. It is a snare. But he who trusts in God is kept safe. Lloyd Ogilvie said this powerful quote. Secure in God's love. I will not surrender my self worth to the opinions and judgments of others. Read that first part again. Secure in God's love. Hear these words. I will not surrender my self worth to the opinions and judgments of others. When I am rejected, I will not retaliate. When I am hurt, I will allow God's love to heal me. Knowing the pain of rejection, I will seek to love those who also suffer from its anguish." We say yes to pleasing God, not to being a people pleaser, but to live for an audience of one, to break off the fear of rejection that we may not be held back by its snare and may walk in the commission that we've received through Christ. You are on assignment from the Lord God. You don't need to fear rejection any longer. And today, if you want to pray with me in just a moment, I believe that God will break off the fear of rejection on your life, and you will walk fully and completely in the assignment of God, not perfect, but being perfected through His love, that His love might be made perfect in you, that His strength might be perfect even in your weakness. You're on assignment. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? I know our band is about to lead us here in a moment. Powerful song about fear and uh, the power of God and what He's called us to. But I want to pray for you right now in this space. I want to pray two things. One, with every eye closed and head bowed this morning. If you have never chosen to follow Jesus Christ, or maybe a long time ago you made a religious choice, devoid of power, but now you want to make a relationship choice to follow Jesus completely with your life. You're saying, today I need the hope and healing that comes from Jesus Christ. Hear me say, through Jesus, there is hope for every future and healing from every past. And today, if you want to step into that and begin that journey, we say it's a journey of many yeses in your life. You're going to have to say yes to pleasing God and noticing pleasing people, but it starts with one very important yes, which is, yes, Jesus, I desire to follow you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of all my sin and unrighteousness, and I come before you and receive the hope and healing that comes from you. If that's you this morning, whether you're here in person or you're online, this is your moment. You need a miracle. Do not go one more moment without it. You're saying this morning, Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. If that's you, whether online or here in person in Scottsdale this morning, I just invite you this moment just to lift your hand up, and I want to pray with you. can we do this together as we're, got our eyes glued and our head bowed. I just, I want you, if you lifted your hand, to be able to pray. But sometimes in that first prayer, it's hard to just pray out loud. Everyone's listening to you. But it's really beautiful when we all get to pray together. And I know some of you prayed, you prayed this prayer before, but there's a unity of believers that we're for one another this morning. So I just want to invite you, would you pray with me? Just repeat after me. Pray, dear Jesus, everybody, dear Jesus, come on, everybody, dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love. I choose today to give you my life. I repent of all my sin. And I choose to follow you. To walk in the new life of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one more thing. Eyes closed, head bowed, wherever you are. This morning, if you're in that place, I just want you to search your heart. Search your heart this morning. Really think on this. Don't rush out in your mind. Don't rush to the next thing. Your kids are having a blast with Captain America and Spider Man in the back, Wonder Woman, you're fine. Don't rush out in your mind right here. this is your moment. you're saying I need to break free of the fear of rejection and the longing and the addiction for approval and today I'm going to say I'm gonna serve the audience of one but Holy Spirit, I, I need you to do that work in my heart today. Holy Spirit, I need you to release that fear of my life. I know that he will. I know the Holy Spirit will and if that's you, And you're saying that, I just, I want to pray for you this morning. So I just want to invite you, just lift your hands with me. I'm going to lift my hands as well here. And we're going to pray together. And I'm when I'm done praying this morning, the band is going to lead us. And I just encourage you just to worship in that space, declaring that I live for an audience of one, that fear is gone, fear is broken off. But let's pray together. God, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You're here with us right now. Holy Spirit, you dwell with us here in this place, the God, you are not far, but you are near right now in this moment, and so God, for those this morning wrestling with that fear of rejection, that hurt and that pain, it's so real, but God, by surrendering it to you, we don't minimize it, we just maximize how great and good you are